Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 37 of the Four Feathers Podcast. I am your host, Johnny Nani, joined tonight by Ron Luce and Tony Marchese. Been a while, boys, but let's crack them and get caught up on the Hawks. Gentlemen, we're back. Uh, I'm titling this episode, as you guys saw in our rundown here, Hockey Hibernation, because that's what it feels like. Uh, the Blackhawks haven't played in over a week now. This is Wednesday, January 29th. We're recording this. Uh, last time they played was last Tuesday, and they still got a few more days here to go um, until we have a game. The next game isn't until Saturday night, uh, actually in February. So, um, gentlemen, uh, how have we been over this uh, break here? I don't know what to do with myself. Uh, thank God for SoxFest, because been like the most boring week of sports in general uh i don't know about you johnny but like i need i need real hockey the all-star break just doesn't really do it for me i mean sure we got to watch patrick kane get booed but i'm like just ready for any game <laughs> you know what i mean any game that yeah. the hawks play in i don't even care if they win the next one i just want hockey back in my life ron how are you man Good. Uh, yeah, I echo a lot of the same things. I actually made a joke with some coworkers today. I was looking at my my calendar on my uh, my Blackhawks calendar at work, and I'm like, ah. Oh. And they're like, what? And I'm like, there's no hockey on still for another like three days. I was like, I don't know what the hell to do with myself. I'm just been sitting here, and it's weird. It's like I feel like I don't have a purpose to watching sports. I haven't like watched any TV because of it because it's like the only TV I ever watch. So. Um, no, I, I, I feel that and echo that sentiment, but, um, Saturday shaping up to be a pretty good game. I mean, the Coyotes having a nice year, um, and the Hawks were kind of in a rebound mode, um, throughout December and, and early part of January. So I'm excited to see, uh, how they come out firing after the, um, you know, what is it now about, it'll be about a 10 day hiatus for the Hawks. Correct. Yeah, uh, Ron. Yeah, ten ten days. Uh, ten days too long. Um, I, I wish they could play every night. I wish it was like baseball. Uh, we were seeing it every night, but I know uh, just physical demands of the sport don't allow for that. Uh, before we really get into this thing, guys, uh, a little housekeeping for On Tap Sports Network. Um, Make sure you go to ontapsports.com for all your Chicago sports literature and podcasting needs. Uh, we've got you covered on all major Chicago sports teams with plenty of subcategories like gambling, fantasy football, um, and even the uh, smaller teams as the Chicago Dogs, Chicago Wolves, all of that good stuff. So uh, check that out, ontapsports.com. All right, um, guys, we are just over the halfway point of the season. Uh, feels like this break's never going to end, but luckily we, we are in the home stretch of it, and we are going to see Blackhawks hockey soon. Uh, let's get to some recent news um, that just – what happened with the Blackhawks here. Uh, we had touched on the All-Star game uh, just a little bit in that brief opening there. Um, Patrick Kane was the Blackhawks' only representative. Uh, he won the uh, first annual Shooting Stars event, which they had him up on a platform at like the top of the lower bowl down there in uh, St. Louis. And they were firing pucks like him and Marner, and I forget the other guys that participated in it. But either way, uh, Patrick Kane won that. So, of course, he got a nice round of booze, got booed at every turn, uh, every single introduction that he had for both the skills comp and for the game itself. Um, and then in the All-Star game, uh, he recorded two goals, uh, but the Central lost, um, much thanks to Jordan Bennington, letting up three early ones for the Central. So uh, it was a 10-5 loss. Central exited early again this year. But, uh, hey, uh, Patty Kane can't carry the whole Blues team, guys. <laughs> no, he cannot. And uh, it just makes sense that uh, Bennington would uh, be the one that gives those goals up in front of the home crowd. Yeah, yeah I think fitting. I think I kind of enjoyed uh, watching the Blues fans not know what the heck to do when Kane scored, because initially they cheered. They're like, yeah, and then they realized it was Kane. And they're like, uh, 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 what do we do? And it's 
it was that was I think my probably my most enjoyable part of watching that. But yeah, I don't know. I especially because it's just the All Star game. I I don't hate when the Central loses in the first round because less games that Kane plays means less chance for injury, and it just we need him more for post All Star break anyway. So I'm totally yeah. okay with them losing and being garbage. To be yep. completely honest, he yeah. had a good day. He you know won the the Shooting Stars event. It's a good weekend for him. Yeah, I agree, Ron. He's still, you know, even in that limited time, because it's only, uh, what, two 10-minute halves that they play, so not even periods there in that three-on-three format. Now that they do, um, Central end up losing the Pacific 10-5 to in that first round. So I just wanted to graze over that uh, because that was the most recent uh, Blackhawk in action, I guess, here. so uh, we get, we can move on from that. The All Star game. But one, one thing that uh, was just last thought on the All Star game, I thought it was pretty funny that um, you know the Flames and the Canucks, or excuse me, the Flames and the Oilers have had some heated battles right before the All Star break, and they're going to get back into them here after the All Star breaks. But I thought it was funny that when uh, you know Drysaddle teamed up with, I believe it was Matthew Kachuk, they mm-hmm. didn't even like celebrate together. It was just nope. kind of you know Kachuk yep, skated uh, to the bench and Drysaddle yeah. skated back to center ice. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. That yeah, was, so I, I, I thought I thought that was pretty funny. I, I enjoy watching the uh, Flames, so uh, you know they're usually late night. I got an NHL TV, so I like to stay up late and watch those guys. So looking forward to those battles going forward. Just wanted to mention that. All right, uh, more Hawks news here. Dennis Gilbert recalled today. Seems like he's been up and down uh, about four or five maybe eight times now this season, but in this past like stretch of two weeks, uh, he's been up and down uh, to get some reps in at Rockford because he has been a healthy scratch lately for the Blackhawks. So uh, that was the most recent news today. He was recalled. Um, and Matt Tompkins uh, at the beginning of the all-star break signed a two year, two way deal with the Hawks. Um, 700 uh, K annual average value with that. Uh, that just gives them further organizational depth in net uh, last year uh, around this time, uh, beginning of February, actually it was so a little under a year. Um, they assigned Colin Dahlia uh, to a deal as well. So they're kind of bolstering that goalie depth. And we will get into, uh, you know, obviously the bigger question marks in the Robin Leonard and Corey Crawford. We'll get into that segment later. But uh, that, I just wanted to preface with that because that was the latest news on the con- uh, contract front of the Blackhawks here. So, um, guys, let's get into what happened right before the All-Star break. And uh, a couple of really cool uh, things happened at that game against Florida on Tuesday. Unfortunately, the outcome wasn't what we wanted, a 4-3 loss. Uh, Tony, you, me, and... Uh, you know, uh, Patrick Comiskey, we were all in attendance. Obviously, Patrick can't be on tonight. Uh, his work schedule didn't allow for it, but uh, you'll hear him on the Blackhawks on tap post game shows. But, uh, Tony, uh, that was a great Coach Q tribute. Uh, we had two ceremonies that night, Coach Q and Patrick Kane. Let's talk about Coach Q first. Uh, what did you think of that whole uh, that whole night there? I mean, it was just incredible being back in the building with I mean, that was something that, you know, I never really thought would have happened I, I you know go back to uh last year and before he was let go I I I know that things don't last forever but I kind of figured that coach Q would wrap up his career with the Blackhawks I never thought that I'd go to a game and see coach Q on the other side you know it just it didn't didn't really think that that was going to happen but as soon as he was was let go and and we found out that he was taking the job down in Florida um, you kind of look at the schedule, and I know Pat Comiskey did. I think a lot of us did. You look at the schedule, like is Q going to be back at the United Center? And I think it was, I think it was awesome because it did provide us with a, a sense of closure on an era, um, the greatest Blackhawk era of all time, um, and he was there through it all. Um, you know, you saw him get choked up um, when they were doing the tribute video at the first puck stoppage, and man. 
Like that building just kept roaring. And I have not heard the United Center get that loud since probably the last playoff game I was at. It was just incredible to be there. It was a great moment. And I think um, just Blackhawk history, you know, honoring the guy that led the team to three Stanley Cups. And I mean, I, I think Chicago welcomed him back well. Um, I know we're going to talk about it in a little bit. I think NBC Chicago kind of fucked that whole thing up uh, big time by not showing that video to uh, the TV viewers at home. And I'm really happy that I was actually in the crowd um, and that, you know, you and I decided to go to this because you thought that there was going to be a little bit more for, for the, you know, everyday fan who's not in the building. But I guess it was one of those kind of cool moments you had to be there to see it. Yeah, Tony, I agree with you. I was in attendance, too. Um, it was a great moment. Uh, Q Chance Abundant, uh, roaring applause for him, even before the video started, because, you know, that was at the first uh, stoppage of play when they uh, aired that video. And they're just Q Chance uh, kind of circling throughout the United Center. You know, a couple a section would start and then stop, and then another section would start on the other side of the building. So uh, that was cool to see, and I agree with you. Um, it, it was just a, you know awesome tribute, and like you said, it seems like a little bit of like closure for that. Uh, they finally got to properly thank him in uh, video form. And uh, something that you had mentioned, uh, you know, NBC Sports Chicago uh, not airing it. They were at commercial break then because it was a media timeout there. Um, luckily for you guys, uh, we were there. Obviously, Tony and I were in attendance. I took a video of uh, the reaction from the crowd and you know kind of zoomed in at different parts of the video, so you can go and check that out. That's our pinned tweet currently uh, on our Four Feathers Pod Twitter account. It's also an Instagram TV video if you follow us on Instagram at Four Feathers Pod. Um, but, Ron, I, I, since you were not in attendance, um, you know, you're, you're watching on TV, um, I just wanted to get your take on it with NBC Sports Chicago not showing it. Yeah, unfortunately, I wasn't able to uh, to join you guys that night. I unfortunately have a work schedule at this time of the year that does not allow me to do much fun things during the week. But um, glad that you three were able to be there and, and witness that live. But yeah, it was it was kind of weird. I remember. Um, thankfully, we have a TV kind of right over by our area of the desks at um, our office, and so I had the game on. My bosses were cool with it. They're like, "Yeah, go turn the game." On. I'm like. Okay, they get it. They're they're my my direct manager's a big hockey guy. So he was like, Yeah, go turn it on. Do do what you gotta do, man. I'm like, Yes. And so, you know, was able to watch the the Patrick Kane ceremony and I know we'll get to that in a second. And you know, that was well televised and that was great to watch. But um, you know, it was weird because I was kind of waiting for the cue. I'm like, it's coming, it has to be coming. Uh and then all of a sudden I just remember looking up and it's him waving to the crowd. And I'm like, did I really miss it? And did it not happen? And then my boss looks at me and goes, no, I didn't even see them air it. I'm like, that's what I thought too. And so, yeah, it was, it was kind of disappointing. And there was a lot of fans that were pissed off. I remember I took to Twitter, uh, just kind of looking through after, and uh, there was a lot of angry people. They were like, what the hell? Blah, 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 blah. So, uh, but yeah, you know, able to find it via, you know, you guys, you know, your, your video, Johnny, and uh, a couple other ones and kind of able to watch it and piecemeal it together on the spot like that. And then, um, later the, the Blackhawks official Twitter, you know, tweeted the whole thing. So was able to rewatch it then as one kind of continuous video. So, um, they did a great job. I, I think that was an excellent, excellent video for him. Agreed with you guys closes an era. Um, you know, gives the Blackhawks fans a sense of closure. I mean, you know, he will, I would not be entirely surprised if one day that man has a statue in front of the United center, uh, along with guys like 88 and 19. So, um, Good for him, you know, good for the fans. It was just, it was an overall great night. I mean, you couldn't have scripted it any better with uh, what we're about to talk about here. And then obviously Coach Q returning to the United Center for the first time uh, since being fired last year. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, quick wrap up on that. You know, Ron, you hinted the possibility of a statue. Uh, I definitely think that uh, it could happen d- down the road. Uh, no doubt about that. But, you know, they're going to pick, you know, something that, you know, represents them, uh, you know, properly if they do go that route. But I think we need to have a little monument somehow um, in our own on tap way and have the uh, image of him, you know, uh, when he's telling the refs what he thinks about the call during that playoff series at St. Louis on the bench. Everyone knows we're talking about the nut grab. Um, I think we need one of those for our more, uh, you know, explicit purposes too, guys. Hey, I mean, if, if he was still around, there'd, there'd probably be a four feathers mustache koozie floating around at some point. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Uh, that would be, you know, that could also be uh possible. Crack him for uh, yeah, crack him for Q. Uh, I mean, I think that, that that'll still hold because uh, he manned this thing up uh, during, like you'd said, the greatest uh, decade in Blackhawks history here. So um, let, let's move on to the other uh, ceremony that took place. And this one was before that game against Florida. Uh, Patrick Kane's 1,000 point ceremony. Um, once again, great tribute video by the Blackhawks. I was lucky enough to be in attendance for uh, the game that he scored that 1,000th point in. Um, and it was a secondary assist on Brandon Saad's goal in the third period against Winnipeg that Sunday night before uh, that Tuesday night game when the ceremony was. And the place just erupted. Uh, great atmosphere. Um, you know, the whole team came off. Johnny Taze orchestrated it. They came off the bench and uh, congratulated him on the ice. And, uh, you know, cl- classy by the Winnipeg Jets to, uh, you know, let it happen and, you know, sign of respect even, even among a division rival there. So um, then, you know, we were in attendance then for that pregame ceremony. Uh, they had the whole red carpet laid out. And I loved the massive pucks, Tony. Uh, they mm-hmm. had the, you know, the Calder winner, the uh, Con Smythe. And they, they like, it, they were massive pucks, but they looked like they had like the tape on it, like they have after, um, you know, a milestone uh, sort of thing. Thing. So I thought that was a cool touch. Yeah, it was definitely really cool to be there and witness that as well. Um, I know, uh, Ron, you said that they uh, they did show that one on TV, but just overall, mm-hmm. just a great night. Um, and I, I'm really happy that Coach Q, who got to witness most of those thousand points for Patrick Kane, was also in attendance and in there uh, for that as well. I mean, just a great night to be a Hawks fan and and take in a hockey game at the UC. And the team was streaking coming into this. I know we're going to talk a little bit about some actual hockey on the ice stuff coming up here. But, man, there was some energy in that building, Johnny, that I haven't felt in a while. And I don't know if you felt it, but people were genuinely excited about this game. And I feel like it might have been the most hyped-up game this year or even in the last two years. I don't know how what your mm-hmm. thoughts are on that. Yep. That, I would t- I, I had told you and Patrick when we met up uh, before the game and at intermission that there's a good buzz that Sunday night too before. I think people were kind of anticipating Kane possibly getting that one, but I mean, definitely a little even, you know, up to a kicked it up a notch uh, for that game on Tuesday, uh, right before the all-star break against Florida, when both of these uh, awesome, you know, tributes took place for Patrick Kane and coach Q. So um, definitely, like you said, more buzz. And I think I agree with you. Uh, definitely the most lively that building has been in the past two seasons. Yeah. I mean, that's that, de- I mean, it definitely felt awesome being there. And I think what really sucks is we, we just touched on it. Hockey hibernation, man. Like I'm, I'm just itching at this point in time. And and unfortunately they did lose that game that we were at to go into the all-star break, but man, they they had a nice little ride coming into that game. Uh, got themselves back in a, in a, maybe we need to bring back the, uh, the playoff. Playoffs. Playoffs. That's, I mean, that's, that's what the feeling was, you know, like that's what the feeling was coming into this game. we got to keep rolling here. And it just so happened that it was against coach Q on a night that we get to celebrate. Uh, the thousandth point of Patrick Kane's career. So, 
I mean, uh, Ron, any takeaways on, on that ceremony from from the TV side? I don't know. I think they did a great job. I mean, I was, um, you know, obviously not in a thousand point ceremony, but I was able to be in attendance. Um, I believe it was two seasons ago. It was the very tail end of uh, the 2017-18 season, right? Um, yes, uh, when uh, Brent Seabrook got his thousandth game. So, um, you know, being able to kind of compare the two, I mean, from that standpoint, I think the you know, the broadcast did a great job highlighting it, you know, getting a good look on, um, you know, from Kaner and his family and the incorporated shots of Joel and his reaction to the video uh, while also showing the video at the same time. So I think they did a great job with it on TV. And, um, you know, I actually went and sat underneath the TV. I looked like a little third grader watching their favorite <laughs> TV show as I was sitting there watching it. And my boss was just kind of laughing at me. So it was it was super cool to see. I mean, again, we've talked about it numerous times on this podcast throughout, you know, the two years now. It's just enjoying the hell out of Patrick Kane and what he's done as a hockey player and, you know, what we've gotten to witness as, as fans of uh, the great sport. So just took it all in and uh, good for Kaner. And I, you know, I at the level he's playing at, he's he's going to be the highest scoring American points getter um, by the time this is all said and done. Absolutely, Ron. Uh, to put a little cap on this, you know, uh, Kane led the decade in points. I know uh, people get in our replies. The Pittsburgh folks always find a way and say, well, Crosby was injured, didn't have as much opportunity and would have, and he did. You know, look what he did in the fewer games played. Still uh, quite an honor, um, you know, to reach that 1,000-point mark and then obviously lead the whole NHL in points for the decade. Um, and then he tacked on, of course, in Patrick Kane fashion. It uh, wouldn't be a Patrick Kane game uh, honor ceremony if he didn't uh, tack on another one, and he did. Uh, added point 1001 that night on a goal uh, late in the third period kind of gave us some life with a little over a minute left um uh, you know at least gave him an opportunity to get back in that one so uh to put a whole cap on this thing before we get into the actual hockey here on the ice um pat, uh, you know pat comiskey can't be on this thing but i'll use one of his tweets because i think it perfectly sums it up and he says he, he tweeted this uh that night after that game and he said man i've never had as big of a smile on my face leaving the united center even after a loss um, just because of how, you know, touching the Coach Q tribute was and then the Patrick Kane ceremony. So uh, Comiskey can't be on the night, but he still finds his way into this episode. So that wraps it up for uh, both of those ceremonies. Guys, we reached out on Twitter today and Instagram and asked for some questions. Uh, a few of them rolled in, and usually we'd save these for later towards the end, but they kind of uh, fit into where we're going to take this thing uh, going forward. So uh, Jason Hosking, our guy, um, you know, this episode is Hockey Hibernation. He asks... What clown came up with the idea of no Blackhawks games for a week after the All-Star break? And I told him, yeah, obviously, you know, it's bullcrap. I used the Anchorman gif um, to say that's our feelings on it. But I did tell him there would be an actual answer and explanation for this. So um, implemented in 2016-17 season, uh, mandatory five-day break, Jason. Uh, that is the reason for it. And it just so happened to fall this year that the Blackhawks five-day break came right after the All-Star break. Just worked out with the schedule. Um how it's been, you know, kind of a little crazy schedule, and we'll get into what the rest of this uh, down the stretch entails here. But um, you know, the the ruling behind that is teams not allowed to practice unless there is a game immediately after the fifth day. In that case, uh, teams may practice after 4 p.m. on the fifth day off. So um, that's where the Blackhawks are. This is technically their mandatory five day, and they played you know one day before action stopped. They played that Tuesday night, Wednesday started it. So then that just even extended a day further uh, for this break off. 
Um, and th- that's the reasoning behind it. And that's why this is hockey hibernation it really feels like they uh, are in that right now. And then uh, Brandon Stokes, nice guy. Got to meet him for the first time at that one Oh eight after party uh, after Sox fest. Um, and he says the Blackhawks still exist. And Brandon, I promise you they still exist. Uh, we're here to talk about them, and they will finally be back in action on Saturday night. So, um, guys, let's get into the first half that was for the Hawks, I guess, you know, over half of the season, just with the way that the All-Star game is placed here. But uh, since it's a break point there, I guess we'll call it first half and then some here. So uh, where the Hawks sit right now, 24-21-6, and 6, 54 points through 51 games. They're 12-12-3 at home, 12-9-3 on the road. And they currently sit three points back um, of a wild card spot in the Western Conference. Arizona and Vegas hold those right now. Winnipeg uh, right ahead of the Hawks with twenty. They're at twenty five, twenty two, and four. Um, so it was good to get a win against them that Sunday night uh, before that Coach Q uh, Patrick Kane game. And um, that's where we sit right now. So guys, uh, let's sound off on how how we're feeling about uh, things from the uh, what we've seen in the first half. Is surprised a good word? I don't. I don't know because because I'm I'm surprised that they're not in a playoff spot just based on how I felt the first half was going to go before the season started. But now I'm more surprised that they're only three points out of a wild card because there were some stretches of just crap during this first half. I mean, like, I mean, there's there's probably better words that I can use, but they looked like crap a majority of the time. And, you know, we, we saw, I go back to the whole dump and chase thing that we were watching for, uh, what was that? Like a three, four game stretch almost. Um, and then Calton made some adjustments and give credit where credit's due. I like what he's done with the offense. You've seen the emergence of Dominic Kubalik, uh, as, uh, in my opinion, a clear-cut uh, Calder Trophy uh, uh, finalist here at this point in time. Um, there's just there's been so many good things that have come out of the woodwork. You know the the goalie tandem we have has lived up to expectations. I think for the most part, Robin Leonard's been just phenomenal. I mean, this guy is on and off the ice, just uh, an amazing like an amazing person, an amazing goaltender. Um, I think uh, most of the fans are enamored with him. Um, and then you've seen some things just kind of break the right way for the Hawks, like Nashville sitting behind the Hawks right now. Like they've normally been a thorn in our side. We, we've traded blows with them all year, but we sit ahead of them in the standings. You knew that the, the Hawks were going to be ahead of Minnesota. That's just a given that always happens. Um, but, you know, it's just a lot of things have broke the right way. The Central's just so so jammed up right now. I mean, you look at the bottom teams in the Western Conference, and it's San Jose, Anaheim, and Los Angeles right now. That bunches you up with this group. You have to be playing well enough to stay in the picture. And right now, the Hawks, I mean, yeah, it's it's a three-point swing between these three teams, Chicago, Minnesota, Nashville. But you've got some room to work here. You're ahead of them coming out of the break. You're going to have your your five-day off that we just talked about. I'm not quite sure what the schedule is for each of those teams, but we should be in a pretty decent position to be within striking distance if we come out of the break hot. Um, I know this game that's coming up against Arizona going to be a uh, very telling game for the Hawks. This is, again, a must-win, and we are continue on with this must-win atmosphere. But if we're going to go look at the first half just back in, in general, 
things that we needed to have happen have happened. And one of those things, and Johnny, we've talked about this on this show a ton, was Jonathan Taves finally deciding to show up and give some scoring support. Um, Patrick Kane has been Patrick Kane. I want to see Alex it in the second half kind of pick things up, uh, goal tally-wise, but I just I guess I'm surprised that we're, we are where we are for both reasons, uh, on both sides of the coin, because I think if we were a little bit more healthy and we didn't have some key injuries, it could be a lot better. But I also think I'm surprised that they're even where they're at because at some points in time, this team just looks like a steaming pile of crap. Uh, Ron, I'll turn it over to you. No, I think uh, I think you said a. I mean, you, you hit it on the head with just about everything you said. Um, yeah, I think you know, at least for me personally, and I think I've mentioned at least maybe once as we were kind of going into the season. You know, there was going to be an adjustment period for this team, regardless. I mean, the, the there was a lot of new faces on the team. Um, you know, you figure your blue line, you knew going in that at least a third of your blue line were going to be new faces um, with Dahan and Mata, uh, obviously Lanner being a new face and goal. Um, plenty of forwards that are new faces, whether they're just rookies from within the system, acquired via trade, free agent signings, you know, guys like Kubalik, guys like Nylander, guys like, uh, you know, uh, Johnny's boy, Ryan Carpenter, and so on and so forth. So, you know, the, I, I knew there would be some type of, of adjustment period. Um, I just think the injuries really took a toll on that adjustment period because, you know, now guys are stepping into spots that, you know, you didn't necessarily expect them to see. Adam Bokvist is a great example of that. Um, you know, Slater Cuckoo uh, really playing an actual meaningful role right now in this blue line, I think, is another great example. And just tinkering the lines, finding guys that have good chemistry. I mean, opening the season, I remember that Saad Kubelik camp line was really good. And everybody was like, wow, this is their third line. It's their best line. And all of a sudden, you played Kubelik up with Taves, and now Kubelik and Taves are two of the hottest players in the NHL since, you know, the beginning of the year. Um, so I'm, I'm happy they found, you know, that chemistry, and those two have been playing incredibly well. Um Johnny and I giggled and joked about would uh, Tony and, and Kamiski ever give Stan credit for acquiring Dominic Kubelik. We will never know the answer to that question. Um, but he's he's been sensational. He was a heck of a find. Um, you got to give you know kudos where kudos are due. What did they give up? A fifth round draft pick for him to the yep. Kings? And um, it was an under the radar trade at the time. No one really thought too much of it. Yeah, nobody thought much of it. And I, I saw some Kings fan tweet the other day. Something about uh, how nice would Dominic Kubalik look next to Andre Kopitar right now. So uh, that made me smile on the inside because I hate the Kings and they can go, you know, stick it where the sun doesn't shine. So, but back to the back to the Hawks. Um, you know, they've they've I think I agree kind of with Tony. That I'm a little surprised as to where they are. Um, it just seems like you know certain guys are clicking really well, especially with all the injuries. I think that's the bigger surprise for me. I think if this was a fully healthy team and they were in this position, I'd be like, okay, that makes kind of sense. You know, they're starting to blend and guys are starting to play well together, you know, and they're, you know, going to hopefully pick it up as the season goes on. Uh, but with, you know, major injuries to guys like Brent Seabrook, Calvin Dehan, um, you know, Brandon Saad, Andrew Strom. Strom, exactly. And yet they're still finding ways to win games. I mean, you know, a, a huge testament to the goaltending, but, you know, that blue line's playing good enough um, to, to get by, especially with, you know, the youngster in Boakfist and Gilbert's been in there and Cuckoo, um, you know, and then the offense is, is able to find ways to put up goals. I mean, when Patrick Kane is technically your, your third line right wing, and I say that technically with big old air quotes next to it, um, 
it just shows the amount of depth that they're able to play with. And Ryan Carpenter being able to step into, uh, you know, a, a top three line role and a scoring role in a way uh, with with Kane and Saad recently um, has been important to them as well. I'm intrigued to see what this team does. Obviously, Dahan and Seabrook gone for the long haul. Yeah, or, um, yeah Dahan and Seabrook gone for the long haul. Uh, but, you know, Saad's back. Strom's going to be back soon. Um you know, I, I saw some some rumors and rumblings that, you know, when Strom returns, maybe you try Doc and Kane together and just some of these intriguing little notes that are, are really going to allow this depth, I think, to to show in a good way. Um, and hopefully Shaw gets back at some point. I think they could use him on a wing. I think he would look nice maybe on a third line wing with a guy like, uh, you know, with a, a Doc and a Kane. And then that would allow Saad to play up with either Taves or uh, or the, the Strom to bring it pairing so uh I'm, I'm actually just excited to see what this team does down the stretch i mean even if they miss the playoffs and don't make it and they're at least exciting to watch and they're building towards something in the future uh, that alone would make me happy so i mean playoffs would be cool and tough but um you know as long as there's that progression i think of this team especially for the young players um i'll find a, a sense of peace and and excitement watching this team down the stretch yeah, absolutely, guys. You raised a lot of good points in there, and um, I'm not going to go and rehash them because you explained them very well. Uh, but my key takeaways were obviously injuries have been you know abundant here. Uh, we've had a ton of them. You had mentioned the guys that are out long term, uh, done for the season, and Brent Seabrook, Kelvin DeHaan. Uh, we've had Duncan Keith out, someone that you guys didn't mention. He was out for you know a period of time. Granted, it wasn't as long as initially expected, but still, uh, that's a huge blow to your blue line there. Um, and then obviously you want to bring it, uh, Tony point that you had made uh you want to bring it to step it up in the goal scoring column uh when you look at it he is still the uh third leading scorer on the team he's got uh 12 goals 23 assists for 35 points but obviously last year putting up 41 goals you want to see him get back to that level of consistent uh finding the back of the net and lighting the lamp so uh that's something that i'm going to be looking for in the second half um dominic kubali can't say enough about this guy we have a whole segment uh that dedicated to him and a, a couple down here um so we'll talk about him a little bit more in depth there but uh obviously a great addition uh very solid player up there on the top line and then um I I like what uh Tony had mentioned about Colleton willing to make adjustments and um I you know I would I've said it a couple of times in our group chat but it it takes him off the hot seat whereas there were stretches in this thing when they were playing that dump and chase you know bull crap that they looked completely lifeless in games where they only you know have 20 shots and give up like 60 um, you know, yeah. <laughs> the, those, those games were bad and you were thinking that, you know, it's like, oh, it's time to, you know, let this guy go mm-hmm. like, seriously. Like people were like considering that and Ron, even you've, you know, got to a point to where you were, you know, you had initially been patient and then you got you know frustrated, but then he, he did, I got to give him credit where it's due. He was willing to make adjustments. And then another thing you talked about, Ron, finding a groove and sure it may have taken longer than we had liked, but everyone liked to rip the Hawks D earlier in the year. And rightfully so, because of the mass amounts of scoring chances that they were giving up. But mm-hmm. you mentioned a guy in there, Slater Cuckoo, kind of randomly finding a role and being an effective player here. He has been really solid uh, over that last stretch right before this All-Star break. Um, and it's a te- I think it's a testament to the whole defense kind of coming together. Uh, you know, Dennis Gilbert had a little stretch in there where he was bringing the physicality at a time when they needed it to give him a little energy. And then, you know, his, he's still young. He's a rookie. Um, so he eventually got flushed out of the lineup and uh, 
Cuckoo entered back in. So I, I really like how the defense is clicking better, and they've been much better at suppressing shots, and that leads to fewer goals against. Uh, it's not rocket science. So um, th- those are my you know encouraging takeaways there, and they're, they're going to have to put the pedal to the metal uh, down the stretch here. So, guys, l- let's get to this uh, next stretch that's coming up here. Uh, second half, I guess, so to say, a little bit under, uh, you know, a little bit less than a half uh, to go here. But um, looking at this thing down the road, weird schedule. I kind of previously hinted at it, but uh, this is just the way that the schedule makers made it. And, uh, you know, it has to coincide with teams' travel schedules um, and obviously availability for arenas, whether that be for, you know, the United Center is a big uh, venue for concerts as well as the Bulls and the Blackhawks playing there. So um, that puts the Blackhawks only having, what, three home games uh, or four home games in February? Uh, Yeah, no, only three. Uh, 11 of 14 are on the road in February, but then it turns around. 11 of 15 are at home in March. And then there's that little two game trip uh, at the very beginning of April to round out the regular season. So, um, you know, I'd mentioned those right before uh, uh, you guys kind of sounded off. I'd mentioned their splits there, 12, 12 and three at home, 12, nine and three on the road. It uh, just looks like they, I don't know, uh, overall, at least from being there a lot when they're at home, it looks like they play a little bit better on the road uh, up to this point, but um, there's been encouraging things both uh, at home and on the road. But um, I just kind of wanted to get your guys' predictions here. And then another thing to note uh, with the schedule, uh, the Blackhawks had one of the toughest schedules in the league. I believe it was the hardest um, up through that first half. And then they have one of the easier ones down the stretch here. And obviously all those home games in March, I think that can bode well for them. So uh, let's sound off with some predictions uh, for the second half here, guys. Well, I say second half, but, you know. <laughs> Ryan, I'll turn it to you first, my friend. Yeah, I, I, you know, I think it does seem like just watching games kind of by the eye test, sometimes they seem to to play better on the road. I don't know if that's a, you know, them just working the matchups better. I mean, obviously, when you're on the road, you change first, you know, so the home team technically gets the advantage. But for whatever reason on the road, that hasn't seemed to matter for them. So, um I think I think that'll be a big test, really, for them. You know, eleven and fourteen on the road in February. You know, if this team can continue to bond and some of these guys build that chemistry, it could make for a really interesting March when they're home and you know you can dominate those uh, those you know matchups and different things like that with guys. Ideally, hopefully by March, you know, guys like Shaw, you know, would be back. I would expect Strom back sooner than later. But you know, if you're at as you know as much of a full strength as you can be. You know that'll be interesting, and and there's another reason why February is huge for them because that really dictates what they do at the trade deadline. Um, you know, if if they really struggle in February and kind of fall out of the picture a little bit, you know, you might see guys like Eric Gustafson and potentially one of these goaltenders, and you know, maybe a, a depth forward or something get traded. Maybe a guy like a Zach Smith, but you know, if they're still very much in this thing, maybe just a couple points out as you know March rolls around. I don't think they'll be buyers necessarily, but either they'll at least stand pat and ride this team out and see what they have, or you know maybe they go get kind of an under-the-radar depth acquisition. Maybe it's a depth forward or a depth defenseman for maybe a late-round draft pick or something and some prospect that's probably never going to crack the lineup with the Hawks. So, you know, I mean, you could just see something like that kind of along the way, but it'll be intriguing. I, I, think, I think they'll play okay in February. I mean, I, I've seen the schedule. It's a lot of West Coast teams, and Truthfully, the Pacific right now is by far the weakest division in hockey, you know, outside of, uh, you know, not even outside of anybody. Really, I mean, 
what, their top five teams are all within a point of each other or a couple points of each other now, now that some teams are back in play. Um, you know, they're they're all good, but nobody's overwhelming, you know. So I I think they can I think they can take advantage of it as long as they don't get complacent and they continue to play some of that hockey that we saw them play in January. I think this could be a really interesting February for this Blackhawks team. Tony, what say you? Well, I hinted at this a little bit earlier. Uh, Alex Debrinkit, key to the second half. Um, we want to get back on that goal pace, you know, and if he does, that means he's going to have a majority of his goals coming in the second half here. He gets hot and you continue to see the production that you've seen out of Patrick Kane and have come to expect as well as uh, Dominic Kubalik continuing his uh, race for the Calder and Jonathan Taves continues to play the way he does. This is a high powered offense and I'm, I'm, you know, I love the stats on the road. I love that they're going to be playing on the road a lot in February. Um, that just bodes well for Blackhawks success here. I really think that uh, by the end of February, uh, my expectation is that the Hawks are in a playoff spot. And I know that's a little bit aggressive. That's what I want to see. Um, I'm going to take back what I said a little bit and not take back, maybe just offer an opposing viewpoint to it. Are we really happy with the Blackhawks right now? I'm, I sure as fuck I'm not. I want to see this team in the playoffs. It's been too long. This is this is a team that has Patrick Kane, Jonathan Taves, um, the best goalie tandem in the league. Let's start to play like it. Let's start to make some of these guys worry about playing the Chicago Blackhawks. I, I really want to see this team make up some ground right out of the gate, come out hot, and just absolutely start dominating the NHL. That's what I want to see. They've got a, a way better schedule like Johnny just mentioned in the second half, no excuses. Let's time to man up. Um, that, that's what I want to see. Predictions. I want to see the Hawks take. I don't know, ten of these games in February. I, I'd love to fucking see that. That's what I want. That's what I want out of this. I want to be cracking beers with you guys and talk about Blackhawks winners. I don't know if that's exactly reasonable. Maybe eight or nine, but ten games. Let's get it done. I love it, Tone. Uh, I, I love it. And you'd ask the question. Um, are, are you satisfied? And you would answer no. So I guess overall, no, from the expectation standpoint, of course you want them to be in a playoff spot here, and they obviously have the talent on the roster to do so. Um, but just just a couple of points on this. I am encouraged, though. This I The defense lately, man, it, it looks just different. It, you know, you can talk about the numbers all you want, and obviously the shot suppression numbers are great, but you just look at them, and they look more cohesive. It, every pair, you know, Ulimata is not, uh, a liability like people had expected him to totally be uh, at the beginning of this thing because, you know, they said, he oh, he's completely shot and whatever. It's like, no, he, he can be reliable there. Obviously, Duncan Keith is Duncan Keith. Um, Adam Boquist is, you know, growing every single game. Um, a guy that, you know, Slater Cuckoo, I, I got to eat some of my crow uh, on this because he... It, it was kind of like, you know, what the hell is he still doing on this roster? And I think all of us have bagged him at different points throughout it. And there have been reasons that, uh, you know, he's been deserving of the criticism. But as of late, he looks like a, you know, infinitely better option than uh, Dennis Gilbert. If anyone's in, uh, out of this defensive course in my doghouse, it's Dennis Gilbert. Because, I mean, the, the fancy numbers uh, hate him even more than they hated Brent Seabrook um, early on in the season. So um, I... I think they found something that works. And as long as these guys uh, stay healthy, because obviously we have two of those injuries in Seabrook and DeHaan here, um, I'm encouraged, though, Tony. So I would say, yeah, sure, not satisfied with where they sit right now, but encouraged going forward here. Um, I like what you said. I'd love to aim for, you know, 10 wins there. I think the 8-9 range is probably a little more realistic because uh, you do have some tough games. Even that one home one, uh, Boston, or early on in the month, uh, it's going to be a tough one. We were able to squeak one out. Um 
out at uh, TD Garden back in the beginning of December, I believe. But mm-hmm. uh, that'll be a tough test. They're one of the best teams in the league. Um, and then obviously a lot of road games. But I think the road games can also bode well for them because you, you had your break. You had your time to spend with the family, with the, you know your kids and all that, and recharge your batteries. And now it's just going to be with the boys. You're out on the road. You're just there to play hockey. That's it. And I think that can really uh, benefit them in the month of February coming up here. So um, going to be a lot of big tests. I do, Tony, I, I, I agree with your prediction. I expect them to be in a wild card spot at the um, at the end of this month, at the end of February here, possibly even earlier. Uh, if you get a few breaks here in what's going down uh, with some of the other teams that are right around them. Uh, here, you know, Winnipeg hasn't been playing well lately. I think Nashville squeaked out a win tonight, but overall they've been underwhelming. Um, the, those specific teams are, you know, they're trash. Like Iran had said, they're trash. So um, take advantage when you do play them. So, uh, Ryan, I see you added uh, a note here. Uh, Tony someone did that. in here. Tony added this note. That's yeah. uh, one, the Slater Cuckoo Jan Ruda trade. Sound off. <laughs> I just figured this would be the perfect question for Ron because y- you've seen. Slater Cuckoo, we've we've given Slater Cuckoo probably more love on this podcast today than we've ever given Slater Cuckoo, right? Like he's always mm-hmm. been a guy that's kind of been in in the doghouse, almost like a Brandon Manning type uh, for us. But there's another name out there, and that's Jan Ruda that we've equally given a lot of flack to. Jan and Pylon Ruda. Both of these guys, <laughs> and I was just scrolling through Twitter just a minute ago, and I saw somebody actually put out there, and they said we only had to give up Slater Cuckoo to get Jan Ruda and they love it over there. And mm. now we're talking about Slater Cuckoo being like, you know, one of the most solid options. So who won this trade? It's, it's very under the radar. It's a very minuscule move in the, in the grand scheme of things. But Ron, I, I want, I want you to answer this question. Who won the Slater Cuckoo Jan Ruda trade and who will ultimately end up winning the Slater Cuckoo Jan Ruda trade? I mean, it, it seems like it's the classic case of both teams kind of won. I mean, it seems like Tampa's happy with Jan Ruda, which mind boggles me. The dude was a damn pylon here in Chicago. But, you know, at the same time, it's like, and, you know, Slater's been okay, you know, especially of late. Him and Olimata now have really become a nice third pair, especially with all the injuries and whatnot going on. And it's worked out well because now they can they don't have to play Gus and Cuckoo together, which literally that pairing drove me cuckoo and wanted me to bash my head through a wall because they were yep. so bad together. But you know, it, I don't know, man. This is this is a loaded question. This is like a <laughs> forty five just sitting next right. to me as I'm answering this right now. I'm like, I don't know what to think. Uh, honestly, right now, I mean, ask me at the end of the season. I it, it, it really, I mean, if Tampa. I knew this was going to be a tough one. It is tough. No, it is. It's just, I don't know. I think here's the difference, though. Jan Ruda is not nearly as needed by his team as Slater Cuckoo is. And that's just just because, yeah, Tampa's defense is very good. They have a lot of very good defensemen. Obviously, Victor Hedman's arguably the best D-man in the NHL. Um, You know, Ryan McDonough's still a very good defenseman. Uh, That Sergeyev kid is, is a nice piece. Um, they still got, oh, I don't even know who else is still there. Um, you know, but they, they have plenty of guys in place that can play good D they, they don't need Jan Ruda to be 
you know, a solid, reliable third pairing. If he can go out there, play 14 minutes and not look like an orange pylon cone like he did here in Chicago, still upset we never made those T-shirts. But, um, you know, that's all they need from him. And they're like, oh, cool, you know, this is great. I think a lot of negative stigma, too, also comes out of Tampa for Cuckoo because Cuckoo was a first-round draft pick. So if your first-round defenseman doesn't turn into more than what he is, Mm. I'd be upset, too, you know. For yeah. the Blackhawks, Jan Ruda was a free agent signing for, you know, minimum whatever he made, like 800K or whatever. So essentially it was just a flip for a flip in terms of a style of guys. You know, Cuckoo, yeah. left-handed, maybe a little more physical than Ruda, maybe moves a little bit better than Ruda. You know, Ruda being right-handed doesn't move necessarily as well, maybe a little better offensively. So they, they I think it's just the classic case of, you know, these guys found a good situation for them to be in. They can play to their strengths in each of these systems now. Um, And, you know, I I mean, the thing with Cuckoo, here's the thing with Cuckoo, and this is where I'm going to say, this is why I said, ask me at the end of the season, does he, can he keep this play up that he's had with Olimata? And is it truly Olimata carrying that pairing? Or are they both just finding a way to play off each other's strengths and be a good third pairing? Because he really hasn't had to be put in a terrible situation yet. Uh, that five-game win streak, they were playing teams that, in my opinion, the Hawks should have beaten. Mm-hmm. So I'm interested to see how he plays against like a Boston or you know, one of these decent teams coming up on the schedule here in February. If he starts getting replaced again by Dennis Gilbert, then dare I say it, tastes like vinegar already in my mouth, but the Tampa <laughs> Lake may have won that trade, but we can discuss that further later. Yeah, I just had a couple points there, Ron. I like what you said that they kind of found their fits, and I like that. And you'd asked about, you know, I, time will tell, and obviously tougher opponents will tell um, if this play keeps up for Slater Cuckoo. So I don't want to, you know, go over the moon about this guy, but his vision is much better than Jan Ruda. Mm. And if Olimata is a guy that will chip from the corner, and Slater Cuckoo can come and pick it up and find Jonathan Taves in the middle of the ice who hits Dominic Kubelik on a perfect seam like we saw at Toronto. That is why Slater Cuckoo is valuable to this team. So, uh, well, and then Jan Rudik, Ron, Jan Rudik can just sit back. Uh, he, he can sit back and play that, you know, kind of defensive style because they have obviously mm-hmm. plenty of offense in, in their Victor Hedmans and uh, Sergachev can do it as well. So, um, I think it's just a matter of fits here. So, I don't, I, yeah. I call it a draw right now. And obviously, I think Ron, uh, put it best. We'll see at the end of the season if we really want a definitive answer on this thing. But, uh, as of right now, I think it's working out for both sides. Tell yep. me, you have any thoughts? <laughs> No, I just wanted to see you guys go back and forth on this one. I really don't have too much of an opinion on it. I know that Ron was very uh, opinionated about Jan Ruda last year, and just to see his 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 recent I don't know climb out of the healthy scratch role into a twenty minute defender um, in a, in a few games here has been just wild. But yeah. you know it it's it. The Hawks have, for some reason, just traded away so many guys that go into other systems, and see, it seems to work out for them. Um, Michael, and, Michael know, Kempney. It, yeah, yeah, that's another one. Um, oh, that one hurts me. I love Michael know, Kempney. It, we, they're, they're, that's not the only name. There's there's a bunch that we could throw out here. but Tuvo Teravainen. <sighs> yeah. I was saying I'm just, defense, I'm just rubbing salt in the wound. You're just bringing up names now. Trevor Daly. Right down. Ooh, Trevor that's Daly. a good one. Yep. Yeah, Remember I mean, they traded him for Rob Scuderi? Yeah. <laughs> that makes me drink. <laughs> Crack him. <'em. Crack> <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, guys. All right, Tony, thank you for bringing that question up here. Uh, it's time to move on, though. A guy that we talked about a little bit earlier, uh, and we want to expand on him a little more, is uh, Dominic Kubalik. If you follow Four Feathers Pod on Twitter or Instagram, I- I've kind of started this campaign, uh, and people seem to like it, and it's warranted here. It's it's not just a, you know, uh, gas our guys up, but in a way we are because uh, he deserves it. It's Dominic Kubalik. Kubalik for Calder, the hashtag, use it whenever he scores. Um, let's get this thing trending. He's got 21 goals, 11 assists, 32 points on the season. He's fourth in points by rookies so far this season, and he's first in goals by rookies so far this season. Now, granted, I will say Victor Olsen, who previously had the uh, goal lead for rookies, is injured right now, and he's still out for another couple of weeks for the Buffalo Sabres. Real nice uh, you know, power play. Uh, that's where a lot of his points came from, defensemen. But either way, he was in the lead before, and then I tweeted that from Four Feathers. I said, hey, with Olsen out, Kubelik has a chance to overtake this thing, and he has. Um, The the guy has been a legitimate top-line option. So uh, Kubelik for Calder. Uh, Sound off, guys. Hey, I've got nothing but good things to say about this kid. And, you know, I like that hashtag almost as much as I like hashtag 40s for Fortin. Um, (laughs) There's not a drinking theme to it, but maybe cracking for Kubelik could be something in there, too. Uh, you know, it's just amazing to see this kid kind of, I don't want to say recreate the Alex DeBrinkett rookie magic, but having a guy who is just comes out of nowhere and perform at the NHL level is something that Stan Bowman has actually done pretty well at finding these guys who can put the puck in the back of the net, play in the top six and just score goals with our I'm not saying that Kubelik is the same as Artemi Panarin by any stretch of the imagination, but hey, this kid's scoring goals. He's playing with Jonathan Taves at a very high level. He's doing a lot of things right. You're seeing multiple goal games from this kid uh, on multiple times already this year. I mean, that's that, what more could you ask for um, out of a guy that you just kind of picked up out of nowhere and all of a sudden just jumps into your top six? We talked about it over the offseason. We're going to need some additional scoring on this team. And he's provided just that. Um, imagine if you don't have him and you have the same kind of goal pace com- coming on right here from Debrinket. We would be in a world of hurt. He's been a large part of the success for the Blackhawks getting themselves back out of the basement in the Western Conference and getting them to where they are right now. Um, through that entire little hot streak they had there before the end of the break, it seemed like this kid was on the score sheet every damn night. And I expect that to continue. He's playing with some really great hockey players up there in that top six. He's getting some power play time. He's getting his opportunities, and he always seems to put the puck on the net. He's also not afraid to go block a shot or two or make a few hits. I mean, he's just a complete hockey player. I love what I see out of him. Uh, It's totally surprising to me that he's in the Calder race, just given the, the strength of this draft class that we saw this year. But, hell, I'll take it. Let's go. Get that Calder. Ron. Yeah, he's been an excellent surprise. I mean, when he was... When he was traded for, you know, from L.A., they acquired his rights. Um, obviously, he was overplaying in, in the Czech League. Comes over. Nobody knew a lot about him, but they said he had a very high upside. They thought he could be a very good, you know, winger in the NHL. Um, nobody was totally sold on him being anything more than maybe a middle six kind of guy. But, you know, they were like, yeah, he's got some promise. Could be a nice little play. You know, for a fifth-round pick, essentially, you know, more often than not, fifth-round picks don't hit. Um, the last fifth round pick for the Blackhawks, I can recall that hit was Andrew Shaw. So, you know, that should kind of give you an idea. And he was drafted in 2011. So it's been a while. And, 
you know, for them to get him for essentially being the equivalent of their fifth round pick in the draft was absolutely worth it. Are we kidding? I mean, he's been fantastic. He's he was generating great chances playing in the bottom six early in the season, but that magic really started when he started playing with a playmaker like Jonathan Taves, and all of a sudden they have just become arguably the most dynamic duo right now in, in hockey. I mean, there was a statistic I saw, I think it was right before the All-Star break, um, the top three point getters since the new year of 2020. Uh, I believe Taves was one, I believe McKinnon was two, and I believe Kubalik was three. So that should just go to show, I mean, how great those guys have been. But, yeah, I think he's going to be in the, in the Calder race. I, I have an awful feeling that he's going to lose out to one of either Quinn Hughes or uh, Kale McCarr. Just because, you know, young rookie defensemen, they've been playing very well this year for each of their respective teams. Um, he's certainly going to be a finalist, though. I think if he's not a finalist, it's a crime and I'll riot. So, um, you know, he's been he's been sensational. And uh, this is a guy that I truly hope the Blackhawks don't let slip away. Um, you know, he's going to the more he scores, the more money he's going to command, you know, naturally. But, you know, if you can get him for three to three and a half for maybe two years, kind of as like a bridge contract with him, allow him to play himself into a long-term contract with this team. I think it's worth, you know, worth doing because 21 goals at this point in the season, he's probably going to be a 30 goal scorer for this team. Um, you know, you figure that he has what 29 games that hit on nine goals. I would argue he might even get the 35. So um, yeah, I'm all about it. If he's going to continue this kind of pace, uh, good for him, and I've had a really, really good time watching him. I need to get my Nick Schmaltz jersey restitched into a Dominic Kubelik jersey. Yeah, there you go. Uh, I, I like that. I like that, Ron. Uh, that'd be a good one. So um, on Kubelik, really quick, you guys uh, put a lot of uh, good points out there, so I don't need to rehash him totally. But we're repro- we're right around. I think it's just over a year now, uh, anniversary of the trade, because I believe, for whatever reason, I remember weird dates, I believe it was January 26th or 25th uh, of 2019 when the Blackhawks made that swap with the Kings. And all they sent was a fifth-round pick. Uh, Kubelik was still playing over in Europe then, uh, and, and they signed him you know after that season there uh, and I don't think anyone though if you asked a year year ago uh, when they made that swap you probably would have thought that Kubli could be a Rockford guy uh, at mm-hmm. this point or hell still playing in Europe if if that might have been the case but I don't think anyone expected him to be the fourth leading scorer on the Blackhawks right now guys I know I sure as hell didn't I kind of thought that you know just with this frame that he could be a little bit of a you know uh not extreme difference maker, but a, a nice player at some point. But I, I did not expect this. So um, Dominic Kubalik, uh, you know, exceeding expectations by far. So hopefully he keeps it rolling. And the one thing that I really like about him, he's always around the puck. He's always around the net. And when he has the puck, he's strong with it. Uh, not, and no one can ever be the demigod, but shades of Marion Hossa and how he can protect. Uh, and he's not afraid to go to the boards uh, and win battles there. And he always just seems to, you know, have a nose for, you know, obviously he has, uh, 21 goals, uh, 11 assists. So he, he has that scoring, you know, uh, mentality, he, even if he's, uh, you know, he's not the greatest helper in the world, I guess, by those assist numbers, he can still get it done there when he needs to. But, um, you know, he, he saw, there's just some instincts about him and it's stuff that you can't teach. It's just hockey sense. It's hockey IQ. Um, and then another part of it's the physical ability. I'd mentioned his frame being able to, you know, play in multiple areas and still have the hands to do it. And then, I mean, you need any more confirmation of his skill 
that baseball goal that he had at Toronto when he batted it out of the air, you try doing that. That is hand-eye coordination like crazy. So mm-hmm. another thing that I've really liked about him is, you know, one of my favorite goals. Uh, I think slap shots are number one, but number two by far redirects. Um, and he's great at doing those too. He said, uh, I can count, you know, I know off the top of my head, at least three this year where he was right in front of the net and it was a puck that went off of either the shaft or the blade of his stick and it was perfectly redirected through a goalie's legs or uh, over a blocker or a glove. So, um, Kubalik for Calder, baby. Use the hashtag, tag us in it. Uh, we'll retweet it from Fort Feathers Pod. Uh, let's move on to our next topic of discussion here, Ron. I believe you're going to have an article about this coming out at some point. Um, mm-hmm. But this segment is called Lock Up Leonard because Robin Leonard has been outstanding for the Blackhawks this season. He is 15, 8, and 4 in 29 games. He's got two eight six goals against average, 922 save percentage. He's 28 years old, has a two seven one goals against average and 918 save percentage. Um, 28 years old is going to be the key thing here, and obviously those stats a little bit better than Crow. I'll give you Crow's numbers here. 913-2 in 25 games a season, 296 goals against average, 910 save percentage for his career, 244 goals against, uh, 917 save percentage. And Crow, the big one here, 35 years old. So let's lock up Leonard. Ron, you can go ahead and start, kick off this topic. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm a big advocate of the idea of locking up Leonard. I think, like you said, he's 28 years old. He's he's just really getting into his prime, in my opinion, as a goaltender. You know, people are like, oh, he's only 28. It's like, well, yeah, he's just been around a long time. He came up very early with the Ottawa Senators initially, um, you know, obviously made his way to Buffalo and now, uh, you know, to New York and then ultimately now here to Chicago. He said he likes the franchise, said he likes the team. He said he likes being here. This was the one team in the free agency process that didn't ask him about his, you know, sobriety. They asked him about him being a hockey player and they trusted him, you know, when he said he was clean, that he was clean and that he was going to stick to it because he wanted to change his life. And I think that's incredibly respectable. And for that reason, I think, you know, I think that's part of the reason he feels, I don't want to say necessarily a loyalty to this franchise, but he's very willing to, you know, sign an extension with this franchise and remain here in Chicago. I would love to see it. I think it's the perfect transition. Um, you know, Crow's getting up there in age. You know, father time ultimately always wins, unfortunately. And when you're 35 years old in the NHL nowadays, it's especially when you have as many concussion histories as he does. Um, you know, I think you know Laner is the best long-term option for this team. I, I, you know, and I like what he said, and, and this is just very respectable of him. I think as a player, he doesn't want to take a discount. He's taking discounts his whole career. Crack him, and you know. I, that's fair because people didn't know where he was in terms of his mental health, in terms of this, that, and the other. I don't necessarily, I'm not saying it's fair that that's why he took discounts, but that's just, that's a fair point on his part. He's like, yo, I've been stuck doing this crap my whole career. I've been taking discounts. And he wants to be paired fairly. He doesn't want to be, he even said, he's like, I don't need to be overpaid. He's like, I just want to be paired, paid fairly. You know, and I think right now with what he's doing and kind of how the goaltending market has been and this, this, that, and the other, I think seven to seven and a half per year is a fair number. It's a million to million and a half raise over what Crawford made over the last how many seasons. You know, he's already making five, so really it's a two and a half million dollar raise at your goaltending position. And you figure Delia then becomes your backup at a million bucks next year. You're actually saving cap money by doing that. And you have a long term stable goaltender. Don't get me wrong, it would be painful for the entire franchise and fan base uh, for Corey to move on if he doesn't end up ultimately retiring, and I, I completely understand that. You know, But it, this is the one time I think they have to not hang on to 
you know, the past and, and do what's right for this future, especially if you think guys like Kirby Doc, Debrinkit, Strom, uh, Bokefist, et cetera, are going to be guys that can carry this franchise into that next phase, um, you know, and become that next core, essentially. And I think Laner's a huge part of that. You know, this goes back for me to what I said a little bit earlier about not being complacent. And I think that if we do make this this choice to go with Robin Laner, we need to send Corey Crawford out in a playoff run, number one. I think that's the the main way to do it. But let's go back and look. And I want to I want to say I really appreciate you, Ron, as as a 28 going on 29 year old uh, male. Um, you calling Robin Leonard still young was really really helping my self esteem. Uh, but it's <laughs> you know I'm the oldest one of this group right here, so you know I'm. It, when you're approaching that last year of, of 20s, it's it's a little bit of a hard pill to swallow. And you, you made me feel young for just a second there when you compared uh, Robin to uh, Corey Crawford and, you know, that old is dirt 35. Um, so that, that was very <laughs> helpful for me. So thank you for that. Um, Happy I could do that for you. You know, it's just things that you're starting to go through as I approach February where, you know, I'm, I'm ending my 20s and I'm thinking about the uh, the end of 20 crisis that I'm about to face. Um <laughs> I'm probably just going to drink a few more beers because um, that's good for me. Um, you know, but you know, it, it's going to be hard for everybody to move on from Corey Crawford. And I'm really not sold on the fact that they are going to look at the track record of this organization and look at the loyalty that they have to some of these guys. Um, Brent Seabrook comes to mind, uh, bringing guys back like Andrew Ladd and they just the, 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 the attachment that Stan Bowman has had to his guys that got him the cup. Um, I really, I'm not sold on the fact that they're going to make this change. Um, how many guys have they moved on from? I'm, I'm really kind of having trouble picking from the core that they've moved on from Patrick Sharp might be the only one. And then they brought him back too. So yeah, they, they did move on from him. They could have moved on from him a little earlier, which was a good thing that they didn't. And I think that that kind of stunted Stan a little bit from, from his moving on from his guys, but Corey Crawford has said too that he he wants to remain a starter in the NHL, and I really honestly think it might be hard for him to find a starting role outside of the Blackhawks organization. Now, there's plenty of teams that need goalies, but Crawford's been here forever. This is home. This is comfort for him, um, and I think that they've both played themselves through the media the way that they need to in order to make their pitches back to the Blackhawks organization. I don't think either of them want to leave, uh, but I also don't foresee the Blackhawks having both of these guys on next year. There's absolutely no way that's going to financially fit. Um, I am in the camp that, that uh, Robin Lehner would be the the correct pick here for the organization going forward. Um, you just look at it, you know, us 28 going on 29 year olds are, you know, in peak phys- physical performance and, you know, just, you know, the, the most testosterone that you can possibly have flowing through your body and everything's all good. We're ready to go. Um, and then you get to like 35. And when I'm 35, I'll say the same thing. But it, it just goes back to the fact that not only has Robin Lehner kind of outperformed Corey Crawford, I think he just has that mentality. And, and guys, is there anything cooler and tougher than the double pad stack? No, nope. no. Old time hockey, baby. Old time hockey. He's got that down. It's just it's it's almost more entertaining as a fan, I think, right now for me to watch uh, Robin Lehner just go out there and try. Just he, he goes to it so often. It's just so cool. I fucking love it. 
So, you know, I think that he's the you know, outside of that. He's the right option for many reasons, statistically, um, from an age standpoint. Um, and I think Corey Crawford's probably going to still want something in the five million dollar range. I just I, I don't know if you're going to get good value out of that. If you do re-sign Crawford, you're probably only going to try and get him on a one to two year deal. And then you're going to have to go deal with this all over again. And I'm really not sold on Colin Delia. Uh, Kevin Lankinen is actually somebody who's kind of on my radar with this whole thing. I think if you do go back to Corey Crawford, you try and accelerate his development um, and see what you can get out of him maybe sooner rather than later. But I, I still go back to the fact that if you want to capitalize on the Kane and Taves era in Chicago, while you've got young kids like Kirby Doc, Adam Boquist, you want to get them a playoff run under their belt before some of these guys start to phase out here, it's really important that you get Robin Lehner locked down. That's my take on the whole thing. Yep, I like it, guys. You uh, explained that uh, in excellent fashion there. So um, I, I don't need to go into too much. I am in the camp, uh, Lock Up Leonard. That's why I titled it the segment, uh, Lock Up Leonard. And I would like to see it happen, and I think it's just the best move for them long term. Uh, just a couple supplementary notes on that. A guy that you had mentioned, Kevin Likinen, actually not one of the guys that is under contract right now. Uh, with the Blackhawks because uh, I'd mentioned Matt Tompkins signing in our news a uh, bit. You know, granted, that's only 700K and uh, a two-way, uh, two-year two-way deal. And then Colin Delia was last year. Um, you know, he had come up and uh, played in uh, spurts uh, while Crawford was out last year and looked good at times. And then he struggled at the beginning of um, the season this year at Rockford, but has since made a resurgence. So we'll get to more of that in the prospect report, but uh, definitely interesting situation goalie wise. Uh, at least they have some organizational depth. Um, I guess that's what I'll say there uh, as fallback plans here, but uh, I'm in the camp lockup planner. And if this is going to, you know, this setting a new trend going into the new decade with a new precedent here. Um, sure. You respect what the guys did for you uh, in the cup runs and all of that, but you got to know when to let go and it's going to be time to let go of Crow. So it, that's my final thoughts on that segment. Uh, let's get into uh, – we're getting towards the end here. We've got um, NHL All-Decade Honors uh, by NHL.com, and they might as well just call these the Blackhawks Honors. Uh, Ron, you, and Patrick Comiskey wrote up all of these, um, and the they are as follows. Uh, the Blackhawks were the franchise of the decade. Coach Q was the NHL's coach of the decade. Uh, the 2014 Western Conference Final versus the Los Angeles Kings was the playoff series of the decade. Uh, Patrick Kane's 2010 Cup clincher was the goal of the decade, and Kane and Keith were named to the all-decade team. Ovechkin, Crosby, Dowdy, and Flurry were the others. So mm-hmm. uh, just a few comments on these because we got to get to our prospect report, Arizona preview, and wrap this thing up, guys. Uh, my comments on these were there's an argument to be made, and Patrick Comiskey made this as well in his article that the 2015 Western conference final the year after against Anaheim was a series of the decade. Uh, I think both are strong candidates. Uh, Mike Milbury was bitching about Patrick Kane's goal being the, uh, you know, the cup clincher being the goal of the decade. And it was just hilarious. I put out, you know, like a gif of an old man, like, rah, 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 you know, old, old man, man yells at cloud. Exactly. Yep. Exactly. That's what it seemed like to me when I was watching NHL tonight, uh, you know, earlier uh, last week. And then how was uh, that? I, okay. Just time out for a second. How was that not the goal of the decade? Like it name a more, like, maybe this comes from a Blackhawks yeah. perspective, I, but just the whole, the whole setup of this goal. And I'm sorry, I'm getting really animated about this because there's, this was the obvious choice and, and maybe people are mad that it came 
at the beginning of the decade, right? Like, because there were so many other goals that yeah. were scored after. They have a recency and, bias, yeah. Yeah, it's a recency bias. But how is that not the goal of the decade? It ends a drought. It starts what is arguably, for some people, a dynasty. We're not going to get into this. But it, it's the start of the, the, the official run of five to six years of just absolute dominance oh, from the Chicago I'll, I'll go ahead and say it. They're the first salary cap era dynasty. Yeah. Start that. Okay, so right there, it, that was the start. Yeah, the, you had a whole year in front of it, but that was the first start, the, the win, the actual win. It comes in overtime on a puck that nobody knows even went into the net. Nobody even knows where that goddamn puck is right now. That is the goal of, of, of the, the, the decade. It could be the goal of the century. It was just such a beautiful moment in hockey history, in Blackhawks history. It came off of the, the stick blade of the guy that also led the decade in points. How is that not the goal of the decade, Mike Millamary. Just go, I don't know, as Ron said earlier, stick it where the sun don't shine. <laughs> Ron? I love it. Yeah, I mean, any um, of these? I, no, I think, I think Tony nailed the goal of the decade. There's no more justice I can do on that one. But um, worth noting, you know, Kane and, and Keith were uh, first team all decade. Um, so there was an all decade second team. Um, some faces on that team included Patrice Bergeron, uh, Henrik Lundqvist, Eric Carlson, and so on and so forth. Um, very deserving. I just think it's funny that um, NBC cannot include your all-time scorer of the decade and first-team all-decade right winger um, on your top ten players of the decade. But um, so, you know, that's so just... one one thing to clarify. Do you think these were NHL.com awards, whereas the top ten right. list that was just... NBC Sports? Yeah. Right. I'm just I'm just saying NHL.com is intelligent. NBC clearly isn't. So. Um, you know, but that's neither here nor there. Um, I don't think Kane gives a damn about any of it, to be honest, because, um, you know, the one, you know, all the, the trophies that he truly won during the decade are, are certainly more meaningful than these NHL.com titles. But um, definitely nice, uh, you know, as, as a Blackhawks fan to kind of reflect on the decade and how truly great it was and, you know, how many great playoff series we were able to experience and Coach Q and Patrick Kane and just you know, all the truly the glory of the Blackhawks, you know, modern day dynasty that they had during this this decade. So um, it was kind of nice seeing that. And yeah, I agree. I know everybody was like, oh, it's just the Blackhawks award, blah, blah, blah. It's like, well, they were the best team of the decade. What the hell do you want them to do? Mm-hmm, it's yep. just how it was. You know, I get it. You know, I do deal with it too. Yeah, yeah deal, just... deal with it. That's exactly it. And I hope that uh, we're doing this again in uh, uh, 2030, you know, talking about the uh, the uh, Blackhawks run. In the 2030s, we get more Blackhawks awards. That's the way it should be. Um, quick question for you guys. Was there a recency bias snub on Marion Hosa for any of these awards in here at all? I, I think the injury is what, uh, or the, excuse me, skin condition, not, not technically not an injury, uh, the skin condition that caused him to hang it up early. Uh, if he had more, you know, three more years to add on to that, uh, the, all of his totals, and I think he may have been a second team. Um, that's what selection. I was thinking too. That's that uh, very well could have been. That's why I asked him about the recency bias because he hasn't played in a few years. But I think Hosa was absolutely deserving of some sort of mention in the th- decade. Th- because think there's an argument to be made, Don. You know, and 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 my argument is is that the Blackhawks don't win any of those cups without Marion Hosa. And I'm just gonna say that right there, Marion Hosa, Hosa for life, Hosa forever. Yeah. 
Um, all right. So uh, my few comments on this, because then we need to get prospect report and wrap this thing up with the Arizona preview. My few comments on this. Um, I agree with Comiskey. Uh, argument to be made for Western Conference final against Anaheim being uh, the series of the decade. And I know we may favor that one a little more since we came out on top of that one. We lost that 2014 uh, Western Conference final to L.A. I think there's cases for both. Uh that Western Conference final in 14 was the Stanley Cup final. Uh, mm-hmm. No way around that. What, knows. what happened in what happened exactly in 2014? The uh, yeah, some Nick Letty's shin pad is what happened. Yeah, I've no, blocked no. this from my memory. I don't yeah. know why I'm talking about it. Yeah, but then the Anaheim series is a slugfest in 2015. You know, back and forth, the whole Ryan Kessler. Uh, no human can withstand this many hits, and guess what they did. So. Um, and then obviously, you know, went seven games, went the distance uh, and was back and forth all the way up until those last two uh, games of that series. And then my other one. So, yes, I agree with you from a significant standpoint. Absolutely. Kaner's uh, cup clincher and 2010 goal of the decade. But if we're going for looks, the, you know, the actual style of it, the uh, kind of the the sexiness factor of it, I'm going to let the recency bias take over Matthew Kachuk's Halloween goal in overtime at Nashville through the legs. Uh, it was a rebound off of Pecorine and he went through the legs and sniped top shelf from in between his legs. And it was an overtime winner. And that was by far the sexiest goal of the decade for me. I know there's plenty of McDavid rushing up the ice and uh, Sidney Crosby, but I'm talking visual standpoint, entertainment value, not significance value. Then give me the sexiest goal of the decade award. Yeah, exactly. Okay. There's two different things. Yeah. 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 And even Kane has arguments for that one, you know, his spinorama at Dallas. (laughs) And you remember that that's the right up there too. But I mean, Matthew, it's, I can't even, I don't even know, like I'm trying to do it between my legs right now. I don't even know how you get that much elevation, that much power behind it to elevate a puck past the goal. And he wasn't like right in close. He was like mid circle, like by the slot. So that was insane. So I just wanted to put that host out of midair. Yeah. Yeah. I was at that game. Yeah. Now, hey, fuck. We had an we had an early uh, nominee then for uh, the 2020s decade one with Dominic Kubalik's baseball bat uh, goal. So, uh, White Sox Cubs, sign them. Let's go. <laughs> All right, guys. It's time though. We were lollygagging here. We need to get to the prospect report really quick. Just going to touch on a few names here, not the full rundown like we usually do. Uh, Philip Holm and the Blackhawks have mutually parted ways. That happened at the beginning of January. He had four goals, eleven assists, fifteen points over thirty games in Rockford. Uh, it initially looked like a defenseman that could have possibly made a jump here, but never did. Dennis Gilbert ended up getting the call. Uh, you know, a couple other guys rotating into the mix there. So uh, he he wanted to go and somewhere he could play. So he is gone. No more Philip Holm in the Blackhawks system. Uh, Mackenzie Entwistle uh, having himself a decent campaign down in Rockford. Nine goals, 10 assists, 19 points in 39 games down there. Uh, just someone I like to keep an eye on. He was acquired in that uh, Vinny Hinnestrosa trade, I believe. And then uh, Brandon Hagel, uh, he's putting together uh, you know, a solid goal-storing campaign at Rockford. 14 goals, 8 assists, 22 points through 42 games. Uh, he was recalled just before the All-Star break after Dylan Strom had went down. Uh, they initially thought that he was going to play because Colladin said, oh, he doesn't expect going to be just a warm body up here but he was only up for like two games and was a healthy scratch both times uh so he's back down in rockford but uh interesting option someone that ron and i had talked about over the summer as a possible contributor on this team so mm-hmm. um philip kurashev uh four goals nine assists 13 points through 25 games uh, i believe he's dealt with some injuries down there at rockford uh colin dahlia uh, someone i had mentioned earlier on the goalie front here at rockford uh had a rough start to the season if there's going to be a rockford goalie you would have expected to be an all-star probably would have been colin dahlia at the beginning of the year. Um, but it, he has seen that goals against average uh, drop down under three now. 
9.291, uh, that save percentage come up over uh, at 900. Now he's 906 save percentage in 18 uh, games. So uh, fan of the resurgence after a tough start there uh, because he wa- he did look good uh, in, in some stints up in Chicago last year. Uh, and obviously someone you're going to keep an eye on as a backup uh, because no way Crow and Leonard both come back. Uh, the goalie that was the all-star, Kevin Lankinen, um, he was the one that had a hot start, kind of the reverse of daily here. Had a hot start, has seen his numbers uh, kind of, you know, decrease or I guess increase in goals against the average. He's up over three now, 3.19 goals against a uh, 904 save percentage um, through 19 games. But he did represent the Ice Hogs in the AHL All-Star game. Um, it's still good to see him get honors because he had a hell of a uh, world, IHF World Championships back in May. Uh, that's when I really kind of latched on to Kevin Lankin in there. And he's been the emergency call up uh, the few times that they've had it. Hasn't played for the Hawks, but uh, he has been the one that's been getting, getting the call. Uh, Matt Tompkins, the guy that I mentioned, the Blackhawks had signed to that two-way two-year two-way deal um two four five goals against the average 916 save percentage over 19 or excuse me nine games uh with the ice hogs he got that kind of three goalie rotation going on down there um Alec Regula, defenseman acquired uh, from the Detroit Red Wings in the Brennan Perlini trade. Uh, he's with the OHL London Knights. Uh, 15 goals, 20 assists, 35 points in 40 games. So uh, good to see the big man doing it there because uh, I really like that he's really big. But he still is able to be a puck mover and be an effective, uh, you know, score sheet guy. Uh, I think that kind of bodes well for, um, you know, the future of NHL defenses. Um, and then we've got uh, Michael Tepley. He is almost a, uh, no, he's better than a uh, point per game player in, in the WHL for the Winnipeg Ice. Eight. 18 goals, 23 assists, 41 points through 36 games. Uh, and then Ian Mitchell, uh, we're talking about defense here uh, at Denver. He has picked up his scoring pace a bit. Uh, he was a little bit slow to start, um, but now he is kind of getting back into that groove. Uh, he's got six goals, 15 assists, 21 points through 26 games. And then uh, Evan Barrett, he's a little bit better than a point per game, too. I love watching this guy play. Um, he reminds me of Ryan Hartman from the mentality side, but then he's a center and he's got a little bit better hockey sense. So I uh, really like his, you know, hard nosed game. I get to watch him a lot. He plays on big 10 network with Penn state. So uh, I'll usually tweet it out from four feathers whenever he's playing. So you can go and check in on Evan Barrett, uh, nine goals, 19 assists, 28 points through 26 games for him. All right, um, guys, we're getting to the last segment here. I know uh, we gotta let the listeners go. So Arizona preview uh, the Blackhawks finally back in action Saturday night. Uh, February 1st against the Arizona Coyotes out in the desert. 26, 20, and 5, 57 points is where the Arizona Coyotes stand right now. They are um, fourth in the Pacific Division. They currently hold the first uh, wild card spot in the Western Conference. They are losing right now. Uh, last time I checked, they were down 4 to 2 heading into the third period, I believe, um, against the Anaheim Ducks tonight. So, um, they do play at LA or excuse me at home versus LA tomorrow. So I would expect them to at least pick up a couple of points before the Blackhawks, um, you know, play them. And before tonight's game, uh, like I said, we're recording this Wednesday, January 29th, as that game is going on for Arizona. But entering tonight's action, they're five four and one over their last ten. So kind of you know right around five hundred there. And um, the, their leading scorers: Nick Schmaltz, Clayton Keller, Phil Kessel, uh, Christian Dvorak, and uh, Garland there. Um, those are their top guys. And I was looking at their score sheet and, and they kind of, you know, uh, no one really is lighting the world on fire. Like hell, Nick Schmaltz are leading scorer with 35 points. You look around the league at, you know, guys like Patrick Kane and then Leon Dreisaitl and, uh, Connor McDavid, uh, they kind of even it out a little more guys. So I think you're going to see a balanced attack. It's kind of been Arizona's MO, uh, this season. So, uh, preview for this one. Are we going sticks to click already? Or are you just looking for, uh, for a prediction? 
Uh, in, do do both. Give your prediction, then do uh, stick to click after, and then hand it over to Ron. All right, I'll do both here. It, uh, it's going to be a Blackhawks winner. Um, we're coming out of this break. We're going to be well-rested. We're going to be ready to go. We're on the road, as Johnny said earlier. I love that on the road, there's nothing to do but play some hockey. The Hawks are going to be waiting to play this game longer than, than most, I think, if, if at all, waiting to get back into action. We're playing Nick Schmaltz, right? Like, just take everything aside. We're playing Nick Schmaltz. we got to beat Nick Schmaltz. And that's not hard to do, especially when he's lollygagging. I'm going to use that word for the second time because I loved when Johnny used the, the term lollygagging. Um, I want to see them beat this team. I want to see them just, you know, I, I, I'm asking for 10 wins this month. Let's start it off with, with number one right out of the gate here, um, right against Arizona. I think the guy that I want to get on the score sheet, and I'm going to go with the stick to click, Alex Debrinkit. Let's speak it into existence. Two goals. For Alex to bring it in Arizona, Nick Schmaltz stays off the score sheet. Hawks win, starting the month and the second half of the season the right way. Ron, yeah, I love it. Uh, something to note with the Arizona Coyotes: a big reason for their quote-unquote collapse of late. Um, I mean, five essentially five and five over the last ten, five, four, and one. Um, Darcy Kemper being injured. Darcy Kemper's had a very, very nice season for them. Was their all-star representative initially um, because of how great he was. But he's been out for a while. Uh, reason I have tabs on him, he's on my fantasy hockey team. He was killing it for me as a goaltender. Um, he's their guy, you know, and obviously they still have Antti Ranta. Obviously they still have uh, Aiden Hill, who is kind of their, like, third swing guy that comes up in the event of injury. Um, but that's a big loss for them, and that's forced their defense to have to step up a little more um, than they're used to doing. So I think this is a game the Hawks can certainly come out and win. I think it's all going to depend, though, on how the Hawks' energy is coming out of the gate because you figure they haven't played in 10 days. Can they come out with a sense of urgency and with a with a sense of, you know, let's go get this game and we're back in it and kind of look like they didn't miss a beat? Stick to click. Uh, I'm going to go with one of the hot hands. And no, it is not Dominic Kubelik. It is the other hot hand who scored two goals in two games uh, since returning from injury. And that would be Brandon Saad. Uh, he will do some wonderful things. Um, back with, uh, I fully expect him, Carpenter, and Kane to be the line again. Uh, I think him and Kane have a good rapport together. Obviously, they played together a little bit on that second line back in 2015 with Brad Richards. Uh, so they have some chemistry, and I, I think uh, we might see an, a number 88 assist to a number 20 goal scorer. So I'm going to take my boy Brandon Saad as my stick to click. Love it, guys. I, I've got a very specific uh, prediction. I do think, you know, Ron, a concern is how the Hawks come out of the gate, and I think they come out a little slow. Uh, to start at the very beginning. I think Arizona does jump out, uh, scores the first goal in this one, but I'm predicting a Blackhawks winner in overtime. So unfortunately mm. giving the Coyotes a point, but overtime, 3-2 winner for the Blackhawks and stick to click Johnny Taves scoring that overtime winner. So um, there you go. There's my very specific uh, prediction. Uh, I am, you know, just feel it in my bones, you know. So uh, th that's about all we've got for this one, guys. Um, closing thoughts here. I'll start with mine and then let you guys go. Uh, Dylan Strom's health uh, and when he comes back will be a major key as to Alex Dabrinkit picking up his scoring or not uh, in the goal column. Final thoughts? Uh, I like that. I also hope that we get to see Andrew Shaw come back at some point in time in the second half. I know that's a name that we didn't get to talk about 
a lot on this show. Um, so I just want to throw that out there. I, I want Shaw to get healthy. I know he just welcomed uh, another addition to his family. Um, you know, just working on getting back. Concussions are a serious thing. Uh, but, you know, we want to see that grit and that intensity in the lineup, especially if the Hawks do put themselves in position for a playoff run. Um, but closing thoughts here, just overall, um, like I said before, I want to see this team just dominate this next month here and put themselves in a position where they will be in a playoff spot for the stretch run in March. Health is going to be a very important thing for this team. We cannot afford any other injuries. I'd like to see them set uh, themselves up to uh, make some sort of minor or middle of the way type acquisition at the trade deadline. I don't want to see them go all in and, uh, you know, kind of screw things up if they're not quite there yet, but uh, it should be an interesting second half of the year. Uh, it should be fun hockey to watch as long as they continue to, uh, push the pace that they have been for a while now. So just, I don't know, as Hawk Harrelson would say, sit back, relax, strap it down, and enjoy some Blackhawks hockey for the next few months here. Yeah, and you 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 used a good buzzword uh, for my closing thoughts, and that's health. Um, you know, obviously, Andrew Shaw coming back is going to be key. Like you said, concussions are nothing to screw around with. Uh, very happy that he's taking his time to get truly healthy. Um, you don't want him to come back too early and, you know, get hurt again with another concussion. Um, strumming off of that of health, obviously, Dylan Strom's return uh, should be on the horizon here soon because that return – uh, is going to mean the potential opportunity to see Kirby Doc play with Patrick Kane, and I would really like to see that happen, see if there's some chemistry there. Obviously, we know the type of chemistry Strom and Debrinkit have together, the new chemistry that Kubalik and Taves have now put together, and then you can kind of fill in the slots all around those guys with guys like Brandon Saad, Drake Kajula, um, you know, Alex Nylander, et cetera, et cetera, whoever you ultimately want to play in those extra wing spots, but you kind of find those core two guys on each line uh, in that top three lines. And again, tying into health as we are recording today, today is um, Bell, which is a, a, you know, essentially a equivalent in Canada to Verizon or AT&T or T-Mobile here in the United States. Uh, they do each year now for the last 10 years, Bell Let's Talk. Uh, it's to, you know, fundraise money and awareness and to end the stigma of mental health. Um, just definitely want to give that a shout out. You still have some time. Um, hopefully you saw it all over Twitter today, but use the hashtag bell. Let's talk for every time that's retweeted or tweeted five cents is donated to, uh, the, the cause for mental health. So just want to plug that and say mental health is important. It's okay to not be okay. Um, and it's okay. You know, let's talk. So, uh, certainly a good cause, and, and let's make sure we get behind that, um, not only as a group here, uh, as a podcast, but truly as a hockey community um, and as a, a world community as well. Well said, Ron. Um, guys, that'll about do it for episode 37 of the Four Feathers podcast. Uh, it's been great getting back on the mic and having one of these extended shows with you guys. Um, you can catch us in between, though, uh, in between these extended shows that we, you know, this is uh, exclusively what we ran uh, last year, but now that we are under the ONTAP Sportsnet family, uh, we do post-game shows, and those are called Blackhawks on Tap post-game shows. Uh, they're uploaded to both the Blackhawks on Tap uh, account. You can find that, you know, in all major platforms as well as Four Feathers podcast. Uh, they're posted there as well so wherever you prefer to listen to them uh they're up there for you both times so make sure you're tuning into those uh you'll hear our voices and uh patrick comiskey rotating in all recapping every single blackhawks game uh or as frequently as we can sometimes when they play back to backs we'll do you know a weekend recap or something like that so um yeah just keep an eye out for those uh and we appreciate you tuning in give us some feedback on twitter instagram facebook uh wherever you find us 
uh, guys, like I said, uh, it was good being back on the mic tonight with you guys. So let's close this thing out. Uh, we always do. Let's go Hawks. Let's go Hawks. Let's go Hawks, baby. <laughs>